So over the last few weeks, we have been well and truly introduced to Jesus. He is the crucified Messiah who died on the cross to forgive us all our sins. He is the conquering Lord who defeated death, devil and hell, all the enemies and powers that stood against us and then promised us eternal life. He is the risen King who reigns sovereign over all things. He is the saviour of the world. He is the giver of the Holy Spirit. If we believe in Jesus, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead comes to live in us. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. He is the most important person in the history of the world. And yet he knows and loves every single one of us in this room. Now these are big claims, the biggest claims that you will ever hear made, claims that need to be tested. And the true identity of Jesus stands or falls by the resurrection. If he rose from the dead, he is God. If he didn't, he is not. And over the last few weeks, we have been following the trail of evidence that has convinced us That the resurrection is true. We've noted that the huge stone was rolled away from the grave. Even though it was sealed and guarded by soldiers. It was a miracle. We've noted the burial clothes left in the tomb. The only item of value. Proving that the body wasn't stolen. We've read the eyewitness accounts of Mary and the disciples. Who saw and heard and touched the risen Jesus. We've listened to the testimonies of lives transformed by meeting the Jesus who is alive. It began with Thomas, but we've also noted the billions of Christians across the world, down through the centuries, who confess to Jesus changing their lives. As I said last week, there are at least 20 of them in this room right now. So we've heard the good news of Easter, we've heard the story of the cross and the resurrection, and we've examined the evidence. And we've discerned that the most logical conclusion from it all is that Jesus really is who he said he was. He is our Lord and Saviour. He really is God. The question is, as we have come to this point of discovery... What are we to do now? Well, the first thing that our passage today seems to tell us is that we cannot just go back to the way things were before. Before we knew Jesus. Before we now know the things that we know to be true. Once we've met the risen Jesus and stated our belief in him, everything changes. The Bible says that we are a new creation, a new way of life begins, and as a consequence, the old way of life doesn't seem to work that well anymore. I find it fascinating that in the weeks after that first Easter, the weeks after the disciples had really found Jesus to be alive, they went back fishing. That is exactly what they were doing before they'd even met Jesus. Roughly three years previous. 
in the blink of an eye. It's as if everything's gone back to normal. As if the events of the last three years, and particularly the last few weeks, hadn't even happened. And I think in truth we all recognise something of this. I'm sure that many of us in this room will have had an encounter with God in some way in our lives. Maybe we felt close to him in church as we were worshipping. Maybe we had a prayer answered. Maybe we had a tangible experience of him in some form. Perhaps our conversion experience or our baptism or our wedding. God loves to make himself known to us. Yet after we had that experience, we've gone straight back to life as it was before. We've returned from church and we've picked up our normal routine as if nothing's happened. And I'm guessing that nearly all of us in this room will have done that at some point in our lives. But it doesn't quite work, does it? We go back home, we return to family and work, and somehow things feel a little hollow. We cannot get the same satisfaction from familiar routines that we used to. Our old way of life feels a little empty now. As empty as the disciples' nets in this story. And I think this story in the final chapter of John's Gospel teaches us something important. The risen Lord Jesus doesn't just want to meet us as a one-off. He wants us to follow him with the rest of our lives. And there is a promise that comes attached to this. If after encountering Jesus and coming to understand who he is, we choose to live our lives at his direction, there will be a great reward. The disciples went back to their old way of life and they caught nothing. Yet as soon as they turned back to Jesus and put his guidance and his instructions in place, their nets were bulging with more fish than they could possibly imagine. You see, Jesus doesn't want to ruin our lives. Far from it. He wants them to make them the very best that they can be. Remember, this is the Jesus who loves us so much, he is prepared to die to forgive us and give us a new chance at life. It's fair to say he's personally invested in our well-being. And maybe there are some in church today who are currently in the process of finding faith for the first time or maybe returning to a faith that they once had. I hope that this will be an encouragement to you. Don't stop at what you've discovered in recent weeks. Don't just go back to the way things were. Push on with following Jesus and you will discover that there's a whole lot more to come. There is a great catch of fish to be brought in. A catch that will benefit you. A catch that will benefit the people around you. A catch that will bring glory to God. And today I really want us to focus on this theme of not just encountering the risen Jesus as a one-off, but following him with the rest of our lives. 
Now, why is it that that often feels like a really scary thing to do? Why is it that so many of us have experienced something of God, but have been quick to hide it or or act as though it didn't happen? Well, I think it's often down to some deep-seated insecurities that many of us carry with us in our lives. Anxieties that burden us and that get in the way of us following Jesus as fully as we could. And in our passage today, we find three of them. Let's have a look. The first insecurity that Jesus deals with here is that of carrying too much responsibility. If you've been with us over previous weeks, you will know that Jesus has given his disciples an important role to play. He is sending them out into the world just as he was sent into the world by his father. Jesus wants his disciples to go out and bring healing and justice and peace to their communities. He wants them to go out and teach people about God and his love. Above all else, Jesus wants them to go out and witness to him. Jesus wants the people of the world to know that he is alive. And if they put their trust in him, their sins are forgiven. But if they disregard him, those sins are not forgiven and they will experience the consequences of them. And I think it's fair to say that that is a serious role. That is a big responsibility. And perhaps the disciples and many of us here today feel that that's too much responsibility to be sent out into the world as Jesus was himself to tell people about God. And I think it was that weight of responsibility that led the disciples to go back to their fishing boats. It wasn't just because their wives were nagging them to settle down. You know, you've been touring the country for three years, isn't it about time you made a living? It wasn't just because they wanted some peace and quiet out on the lake after all the noise of the previous few weeks, although I'm sure that was part of it. I think the disciples went back to their boats because they were paralysed by the enormity of the calling placed upon them. These were humble men and the world they lived in was a frightening one. Roman soldiers do not want to hear them talking about another king. Jewish leaders do not want to hear them talking about Jesus the Messiah. And ordinary people are just busy going about their daily lives. So how on earth were they to go about this task that Jesus had given them? What were they supposed to do? What were they supposed to say? And I really think that the disciples went back to fishing for fish because it seemed a whole lot easier than fishing for men and women, as Jesus had asked them to. That call seemed like way too much responsibility. It raised great anxiety within them. It was like a a deep-seated insecurity that prevented them from following Jesus as he had asked them to. So how does Jesus deal with their insecurity in this story? Well, he does it in a very clever way. First of all, he shows them that if they do indeed follow his instructions, they will be successful. There will be a great catch. 
Jesus does know what he's doing. Listen to him. It works. But secondly, he reminds them that not everything from now on fully rests on their shoulders. Did you notice that when the disciples finally reached the shore and they hauled in their huge catch of fish, Jesus already had breakfast ready. Did you notice that? Verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. You see, Jesus wants their catch. He wants the fruit of their labour. But he doesn't need it. After all, this is the God that fed 5,000 people from just a few loaves and fish. And it's just a very small detail in the story, but the disciples learn something important from it. Jesus is sending them out into the world to be fishers of men, to, to tell more people about him. And that is a big responsibility, but it's not a responsibility they carry on their own. As if the future of the world solely depends on them. Because Jesus remains in control. Jesus remains sovereign. And he will still see that the right outcome comes about. So the disciples are to play their part. But above all else, they're to trust in Jesus because he is the one that's going to provide what they need. Now, how does that relate to us here on Isla? Well, I think this is directly relevant to us at this time. Because we all know that several churches are about to close on this island, and many of the other ones have very low numbers attending them. And that makes us nervous. And that makes us afraid. And there is the reality that if Christians on this island don't commit to gathering in worship and serving the Lord, then there are going to be further closures down the line. But no one here should feel that this is a pressure so great they don't want to start following Jesus at all. Oh dear, if I set out to follow Jesus, then the church on Isla is going to rely on me. And that's not something I want to take on. To, I'll just be quiet and I'll hide in the background. No, the future of the church on Isla and the future of the church in the West in general depends on Jesus. He is the sovereign king. He is the one in control of his people and of the world. He can provide the bread and the fish when it's needed, even when our human efforts fail. So if you're holding back from following Jesus with your life because you feel that that is too much responsibility, then hear this story and take heart. God is in control. His plan will come to be and we can let go of that fear and instead enjoy the experience and the privilege of playing our part. The second insecurity that Jesus deals with in this story is that of having too many regrets. There are many people in the world who have heard about Jesus. Maybe they've even experienced him in some way. But they've not gone on to follow him with their lives because they feel they're just not good enough. They've done too many wrong things in their past to ever really be wanted by the Lord. Their past is too checkered to ever really be a good witness. And they're stifled by the shame and the guilt 
of past regrets. If that is you today, please look at what happens to Peter in this reading. I love the moment when Peter realises that it's Jesus on the shore. And he immediately jumps into the water and swims towards him. It's almost comic. Most people would take their clothes off to go for a swim. Peter puts on an extra layer and jumps in. And then there are all the disciples there trying to haul in the biggest catch of their lives. But Peter pays no attention to them. He's off. He jumps straight in, leaves them behind. I imagine they were fuming with him at that moment. This moment is is so human. It is so real. You couldn't make it up. It's moments like this that give me great assurance that the gospel is true. So why did Peter plunge into the water with this thoughtless urgency? Why? It's because Peter had unfinished business with Jesus. Peter has a great ache in his heart that still needs to be healed. Last time Peter had met the risen Jesus, there had been no time for personal conversation. When Jesus had appeared behind the locked doors to the disciples, there had been many others there. And they had been so shocked to see him, there had been very few words said. And as the truth of the resurrection slowly began to sink in, Jesus suddenly disappeared again. And Peter had not had the chance to release his burden. And what was that burden that Peter carried? Well, those stinging regrets that we heard about with the children. We remember back to those hours immediately after Jesus' arrest, when Jesus was beginning to be questioned and Peter denied even knowing him three times. And this was despite the fact that Jesus had warned Peter that this trial was going to come and Peter had adamantly refused that he would ever deny his friend and his Lord. And on the night before the cross, Peter had sat there by a fire and three times he rejected the man that he loved more than any other, purely to save his own skin. And to Peter, that betrayal was now crushing. He was full of shame. He he was full of remorse, full of regret. He feared he would never know Jesus' kindness again. And that's why he plunged into the water like a madman with his clothes on. Because Peter's heart was broken. And Jesus was his only hope of having it fixed. But just look at the beauty of what happens next. By another fire, Jesus gently and lovingly reinstates him. Three times Peter had denied him. Three times Jesus invites him to revisit that mistake and put it right. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter implores him, Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus calls him back again to play his part in his work. Feed my lambs, Peter. Take care of my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep. And Jesus couldn't make it any clearer. It's as if he says to him, Peter, I know what you did. But I also know that you love me. And I love you. 
and I have fully forgiven you. It's time to stop looking back and to start looking forwards. I love this story. It's one of the most beautiful in the Bible. Jesus isn't just consoling Peter, going, there, there, Peter. He's inviting him back into his life. He's reminding Peter of his value and his worth to him. And there's no greater expression of forgiveness than that. And we know from the rest of the Bible that being forgiven gives us the energy to do great things. As Peter is released from all of his shame and all of his regret, he's set free to do some astonishing things for God. His preaching started the church, his writings found in the Bible. He's been an example and an inspiration to millions. So truly today, if you're in church, and the one thing that is stopping you from following Jesus with your life is the regret that you carry from the past. Listen to this story. Jesus knows precisely who you are and precisely what you've done. But he loves you anyway. If you've put your faith in him, if you've confessed those things, you are truly forgiven. It's as if those things are no longer on your record. There's no need for shame or guilt anymore. You know, no one's good enough to be a Christian. And no one is bad enough not to be. You start following Jesus today, you will see him do things in your life that you never even dreamed of. So Jesus has dealt with the two of the disciples' insecurities. Too much responsibility, too many regrets. There's one left. And I'm going to deal with this really quickly, just like Jesus did. The final insecurity we find in this story is that of having too many rivals. The chapter ends with the newly reinstated Peter looking at another disciple, John, and asking Jesus, what's going to happen to him? You see, Peter knew that John was particularly close to Jesus. He knew that John was the only disciple who'd waited around at the cross when he and all the rest had scarpered. And the presence of John made Peter worry a little bit because Peter compared himself to John. And even though Peter knew he'd been forgiven, he felt in comparison to John, he came up short. And maybe that's the same for you today. Here you are. You're growing to love Jesus more and more. You're wanting him in your life and you're enjoying being in church. But you look around at the other Christians in church and you think, I'm inadequate. I can't match their faith. I don't know the Bible like they do. I I don't have the wisdom they have. I can't set the example that they do. And maybe rather than seeing your brothers and sisters in church as people who love you and want to be with you and alongside you, you see them as rivals who are far better than you. And if that is you, you need to give that anxiety short shrift, just as Jesus does. Because Jesus turns to Peter and effectively says to him, don't you worry about John. He's my responsibility. You just do what I've asked of you. 
Peter, I've not made a mistake in choosing you. I don't make mistakes. Come and follow me. And truly, as Christians, we need never look in envy on another believer. We need never look at someone and say, I wish I could swap places with them. Because we're loved by God the way that we are. We are called to be the person that we are. And as we follow Jesus where he leads us, he will lead us into good things. We are to follow him, not the person next to us. So don't let rivals get in the way of you wholeheartedly committing to the Lord. And there we finish. I hope this story has been helpful. I really believe it to be one of the most encouraging in the Bible. For a third time, we've seen the risen Lord Jesus appear to his disciples. For a third time, Jesus has proved that nothing can stop him. Death cannot stop him. Our sin cannot stop him. And I urge us all this morning to cast off the insecurities and replace them with the knowledge that Jesus loves you. Let's not leave this building in a few moments' time to just go back to life as if nothing's happened. Let's leave here to follow our risen Lord and Saviour with everything we've got. And if we do, a great catch awaits.